I was driving behind a car the other day, and one of them had this coexist bumper sticker on it. How many of you have seen those stickers? Well, they're blue, and on them, the word coexist is spelled out with using the symbols of all the world's religions. The coexist logo is a mark of tolerance and peace. After all, look at how much blood has been shed in the name of religion. But behind it, there is, I think, an assumption that all religions are equally valid, that there is nothing special about the Christ in Christianity or the cross in Christianity. But if that's not right, what if there really is something special about Jesus? Of course, for many people today, that is a question they're not even remotely considering. For many, the word Jesus is merely a swear word or a strange figure in a children's Bible. For those who do think about Jesus, he is merely a prophet among many, a mythical figure, a good man, or perhaps a great moral teacher. If his name is actually spoken, other than as a swear word, it may be in the context of a conversation about religion in which someone says, I like to think of Jesus as, well, this morning I want to ask you, how would you finish that sentence? Who is he? For this is a crucial question. Get him wrong and everything goes wrong. If you're a follower of Jesus and you are confused about him, you can expect to have problems with prayer, problems about guilt, problems about coping with life, and problems about facing the future. Equally, if you are not a follower, you may think that Christianity is little more than about a nice fellow who wanted everyone to be nice to each other. And frankly, Christians would do better than just to coexist. On the other hand, if there is something unique about Jesus— and if the information truthfully tells us he is the Lord of all existence, and one day he will eventually judge us, then there can be nothing, nothing more important for us to get a hold of than who he is. Everything is at stake. He strangely becomes the one figure in all human history whom no human being can afford to ignore. He is relevant to the present and to the future of every single one of us. To help us consider this critical question, we're going to take a fresh look at a crucial event in the life of Jesus. We call it the Transfiguration. It is a pivotal event in the life of Jesus. It is a life-transforming experience for the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were with him on the holy mountain. 
And I hope that for us here this morning, it will help us answer some important questions about who Jesus is. But more than that, as we enter into this extraordinary account, we may experience a sense of transfiguration and transformation ourselves. Something big is happening here. Indeed, in it we learn three important truths about who Jesus is concerning his identity, his death, and his coming glory. The context for this account of Jesus being transfigured is precisely the same in each of the three Gospels that deal with it. In the chapter preceding the transfiguration, Jesus is at a key point in his ministry. He asks Peter our question, Who do people say that I am? In the following verses, it gets more personal. Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That, then, is the first issue, Jesus' identity. Next, Jesus clearly tells the disciples he is going to suffer and die. That is immensely troubling because they just can't get their minds around a suffering or dying Christ. That is the second issue, the issue of Jesus' death. Then the chapter ends with a tantalizing reference to the Son of Man coming in his Father's glory, which is the third issue, Jesus' coming glory. Keep these three issues in mind, his identity, his death, and his coming glory, as we look at this amazing event. Matthew then ends the 16th chapter with that puzzling verse. There are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Yes, it is a reference to what is to come shortly in the events of Passion Week, the cross and resurrection, but it also points to the immediate future of what is going to happen six days later. Jesus had just confirmed his identity, announced his death, and prophesied his coming glory. And then is is as if he adds to disciples, Some of you will be given a visual preview of that kingdom in all its glory while you are still alive. And suddenly Peter, James, and John are up on a high mountain alone with Jesus. And we read there he was transfigured before them. Don't assume this event is purely visionary, let alone some type of hallucination. Don't make the mistake of equating the unimaginable with the unbelievable. New Testament apostles were not fools or liars. Three of them speak of this event. They saw it. Let me take the three issues in reverse order. 
Let's begin with the issue of Jesus coming glory. The transfiguration is bathed in the glory of God. The Greek word for transfiguration is metamorphos, a change in which the outward appearance is changed to represent the inward reality. Just for a moment, the veil is lifted. Just for a moment, the ordinariness of it all that prevents us from seeing in a deeper, fuller way disappears. And suddenly, Jesus' clothes are dazzling white, supernaturally, unimaginably white. His face shines like the sun. Suddenly, they are seeing Jesus, their master and their friend, as they have never seen him before. Language struggles to convey the impact of what they are seeing. Within the human flesh and blood of Jesus, there is an indescribable light and glory, a radiance brighter than any light on earth. Yes, They see the flesh and blood just like ours, but soaked through with the glory and brightness, which is the mark of God himself. They are in the presence of the glory of God, radiating from Jesus Christ. It is no less than a glimpse of the eternal glory of the Son of God, which he had before the creation of the world. This is a statement about the glory which has always belonged to Jesus. Peter, in our epistle, tells the story. It made such an impact on him. He tells us, We had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. If you like your Jesus safe and predictable... The transfiguration is not the event for you. But if you, like the disciples, you are feeling puzzled, fearful, full of questions, wondering, frankly, if in Jesus you are backing a loser, then, oh, the relief, the relief of a little glimpse of the true glory of Jesus We need these glimpses at times. Have you ever looked into a microscope as a child? You remember the first time you ever looked into a microscope at a fly's wing or a bit of fluff? What looks so ordinary suddenly becomes so breathtaking, so colorful, so amazing. You see a different dimension You see a fuller reality. You see a vision, which means you never look at something the same way again. And this, for the disciples, was one of those moments. A moment in which they saw his majesty, his glory, and they were never going to be the same again. We need to see that bigger picture if we're going to function in life. In the challenges of life, it is easy to doubt that Jesus is 
who he says he is. The disciples couldn't have begun to understand all the implications of what it was to come or or even what they were seeing that day. But soon they were going to be able to look back and say, the glory is real. I know it's real. I believe it because I've seen it. And we need their testimony as we think about Jesus. That is the first issue, the issue of Jesus' glory. The second issue is Jesus' death. This was a hard one, something the disciples couldn't grasp. It just couldn't be right that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. Messiahs don't die. They're triumphant kings. But Jesus' death and its necessity is part and parcel of this event. The clue that's the case comes most strongly in the Gospel of Luke. Like Matthew and Mark, he records that Moses and Elijah are there. They are talking with Jesus. However, Luke alone tells us of his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. The word departure in the Greek is equivalent to our word, exodus. For Moses, it was the people of Israel being led out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. But this is even bigger and better. In the new exodus, Jesus was about to begin It was about leading humanity out of the slavery of sin and death and home to our promised inheritance of a redeemed world and a renewed creation. Here is Jesus talking about it with two giants of the Old Testament, representatives of the law and the prophets, men who had spoken with God before on mountains men who had witnessed God's glory and who had longed for a day of fulfillment that was coming on the cross so soon. Moses had been gone for 1,400 years, Elijah for eight or 900. Yet they, here they are with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, validating his mission to die for the redemption of the world. Some people balk at the cross, that Jesus has to die in some sense for us in his place, in our place. But it is at the very heart of the gospel. And here on the mountain is the reminder that the only way to glory is through the cross. This is the second issue. Jesus' death was always intended This brings us to our third and final issue, the issue of Jesus' identity. This is at the center of the transfiguration. A cloud appears and envelops them, and a voice comes from the cloud saying, This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Glancing back at Second Peter, 
Look at how Peter describes these same events. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, an eyewitness who has lived with Jesus, heard him teach, seen his miracles, and who earlier said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, brings us a stunning proclamation about Jesus. But the proclamation from God the Father, this is my son, listen to him, is even more stunning. The implication is, no one else is. And that doesn't play too well in our secular world. And that is why, in a way, Peter jumps in and gets it so wrong in his offer to build the dwellings as if the events of Jesus' life and the journey to Jerusalem can be delayed. No, Jesus the Christ is preeminent. Moses and Elijah were great servants, but there is only one son. And now when God speaks on this mountain, there are not ten commandments, but just one. Listen to him, Jesus, the Son of God. These two witnesses to the identity of Jesus don't come much stronger, do they? Peter and God the Father, human and divine. Oh, you might say, if only I had seen the transfiguration I would have no difficulty in believing. Well, Jesus might surprise you. Glance back again to 2 Peter 1.19. Yes, he would say it was a wonderful experience, even though it was very frightening at the time. But you today have something even better. Even better? What could that be? We have the message of the prophets more fully confirmed. Peter warns us, you will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The story of Jesus fulfilled just what the Old Testament said. This is better. Following Jesus today isn't built on spectacular visions or mountaintop experiences, although God in his goodness gives us those sometimes. No, it is built 
on the trustworthy word of God we have in the Bible relaying the testimony of reliable witnesses down through the ages. Three great lessons about Jesus. First, a lesson about his glory. A few have glimpsed his glory down through the years, and one day all will see his glory, and those who trust him will share in it. Second, the root of the glory lies in his death. His death on the cross opened the door for anyone who wants to walk through it. And third, Jesus is uniquely God's own son. Once I was a person who might say at a party, well, I think of Jesus as, but fortunately, he blessed me and I ran into something that awakened me. In utter desperation, I finally got down on my knees and begged God to show me he existed. I promised if he blessed us with a child, I would serve him with the rest of my life. And he gave us Kimberly. His loving response to my prayer spurred my desire to know him. But it was only later Jesus entered my heart at a Curcio retreat And I began to truly listen to him. Jesus dazzles me with his love and light. His transforming love is the source of every good thing in my life. Truth, a purpose, meaningful relationships, hope in an everlasting future, and a peace that comes from knowing he will never leave me or forsake me. Will you listen to Jesus so you too can confidently say, I know him. He is the son of the living God. Amen.